where nobody knows your name is filmed in front of nobody. Hello and welcome to Where Nobody Knows Your Name, a Cheers podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about Season 4, Episode 7. Too good to be for real. Using 2000 tech speak, yeah? Yeah. I'll tell you what, the joy on my dad's face when he found out he can type the number 4 instead of the word 4. <laughs> Ooh. This episode aired on the 14th of November, 1985. It was written by Peter Casey and David Lee and directed by... Jimmy B. James Burrows. Resident Cheers director James Burrows. He hasn't missed an episode. Hard worker he is. I'll tell you what, in the 70s and 80s, he must have needed so much coffee. Good episode though, I enjoyed this one. But how do we begin? We begin with a cold open. Sam and Woody discussing, well just having some like back and forth really. They end up talking a bit about music. Diane invites Sam to an event called Jack Brel is alive and well and living in Paris. I understand some of these words. I don't get it because it's followed up by so he's not living underwater anymore. Ah, was he an escape artist then? I assume he's mixing him up with an escape artist. That could be it. Yeah, he's a, he's a composer from the 50s and 60s. Like a bop shiwari bop. I tell you what, this is some hard stuff to say in this episode. Yes, yeah, Sam thinks she's referring to the singer of Who Put the Bop in the Bop to Bop Show Up? Something like that. And I think I side with Woody on this because I have no idea what this means. Who put the bop? Yeah, you remember that? The um, great old song right up there was Yakety Yak. Yakety Yak? Mm. Oh, come on, you remember coasters, don't you? Oh. You're kidding. How about the Shirelles or the Platters or Dixie Cups? Sorry. You don't remember any of those old groups? Oh, old groups. You mean like Devo. <laughs> And we get this nice kind of contrast in their age, don't we? I wouldn't say there's much difference, 15 years at most. But you see, already see the difference in their musical tastes, with Sam growing up with music from the 50s and 60s, and Woody seeming like he grew up with music in the late 70s. Bebop music, I'd say. And that the cold opening, really. But it's quite nice, as you say, that they kind of show the sort of age difference between the two of them through this taste in music and what they both appropriate as old music. Yeah. Woody makes Sam feel old... <laughs> I've started, no, I said started feeling that. I felt this a long time ago when I look at modern music, contemporary music, and people go, have you heard this new song by this person? I'm like, I don't even know who that person is, young man. You gotta stay up to date, James, you know? This is a podcast about a show which finished <laughs> 27 years ago. I think it's long past me staying up to date. <laughs> what we can say is that, you know, if you like Yakety Yak or Who Put the Bop in Shabobity Bop Bop. <laughs> That'll be on the old Spotify playlist and maybe some Devo as well. Keeping it current on the old Spotify though. I tell you what, this does bring us quite nicely because Diane, she's with it. She's got a new hobby in this episode, memeing. <laughs> they kind of go, hey, isn't that mime? But I think the reason she's pronouncing it meme is because she's pretentious. Yes, I did like it though. I listened to it. What did she just say? She's like, I've, I've taken up memeing and I was like... <gasps> just putting in my old shift at the meme factory. <laughs> So yeah, as you did mention though, it is actually miming, which is still hilarious. Once that was set up, I was like, well, this would be a good B-plot to the story. I liked the parallel of sorts, or the subversion of how this... Do you know the last time mime classes were referenced? No. The pilot. Diane picks up the bar phone, and it's one of Sam's women. Sam's eating bread or something, and Sam tries to mime to Diane what she should say to this woman on the phone, and Sam mimes getting a haircut and Diane goes he's late for his mime class ah 
But I thought he hated mimes. He wasn't actually at mime class, though perhaps he needed some. Maybe. Well, by the end of this episode, we realise he doesn't. No. Because he's a mime expert. I like how we've prioritised the mime one, and we're talking about that as if it's the A plot. In the main part of this episode, it's about love, James. It's about pen pals, of sorts. Romantic pen pals. Romantic pen pals. That's the phrase we're using, and that's the... (laughs) we're gonna stick with. Carla is in, in a bit of a downward sort of depression because she's realised all of the people she's been going out with are geeks, I think. And then, well, she's, she's put an advert in her a Lonely Hearts column. And she's quite honest about it, actually. Divorced female, warm, witty, and Italian in every way except fat. Yeah, sounds good so far. Yeah. 33, five foot and a quarter inch, dark brown hair, brown eyes, no visible scars, tattoos, or birthmarks. <laughs> Seeking possible serious relationship. Note, I have six children. This is not a misprint. Six. I was assuming she was going to lie through her teeth during it. No, she was fairly upfront. Yeah, mentioned everything, really. And it didn't sound that bad. Well, she's a bit disheartened because she doesn't get any replies. The guys in the bar joke around a bit about uh, what she's read. Bit mean. Well, I I think it's supposed to be in good humour. And maybe to try and pick herself up a bit by uh, trying to make some lighthearted jokes about it. But I think it doesn't really work. She kind of goes off in a worse state and feels like she, she can't trust her friends. I also think it's quite mean considering it's fairly obvious Carla is attracted to Sam. And in the past has wanted to be in a relationship with Sam. Even if it's a, you know, fleeting relationship. Mm. So I think it's a bit mean he's making fun of her for not being able to find a partner. Yeah, I think the kind of theme of this episode is maybe best intentions that are uh, misdirected. Yes, there's a phrase which is something like the road to hell is paved with good intentions or something like this. This takes light in the fact that the guys in the bar, who is Roadcall, Sam, Norm, Cliff and Woody, all decide that it's going to be a good idea to create a fake person of interest, a fake uh, romantic pen pal to lift Carla's spirits and make her feel more attractive under the idea that if she's feeling attractive, she'll be more open to having relationships with people. Exactly. In the words of Dr. Frankenfurter, they're creating a man with blonde hair and a tan, hoping it will relieve a little tension. But it doesn't. No, it doesn't work. It backfires quite a bit, actually. You describe this person a bit. They kind of make the ideal man for her, really, which she receives via letter. Yes, in a response to the Lonely Hearts column. My dearest Carla, I was intrigued by your warm, honest ad. (laughs) I'll be candid as well. I was married myself, but sadly, it failed. Wah, wah. I'm not much for bars hmm. or the single scene. I prefer a quiet night, a warm fire, and pleasant company. Very sensitive. Yeah. Very sensitive. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to meet you soon, but unfortunately, my job as an international airline pilot keeps me real busy flying places most people only dream about. Oof. Talking adventuresome. Yeah. <laughs> For the moment, then, we'll have to depend on the U.S. Postal Service. No trouble there. Sincerely, Mitch Wainwright. P.S. I love kids. Oh, no, you're kidding me. Boy, you really hit the mother load there, didn't you? Initially, Carl is quite hesitant to it, and she makes a joke of it, because uh, I guess everyone else has made a joke, tries to play it off as lighthearted and, and something to laugh at, and as she's reading it out, she sees more and more how ideal this person might be. And he's a pilot. Convenient, because he won't be around a lot. 
Yeah, he's flying. Thing is, wow, actually, I've answered my question in, in my head already. I was going to say, all the letters would be stamped differently for where we're sending them from. That's a good point. Cliff. Oh, yes, he has access to stamps. Postal forger now, you know? I'll tell you what, he's a spy. <laughs> That's right, we're coming back with this theory. We won't let it drop. Cliff had quite a big involvement in, because there's a lot of navigation kind of... Navigation things, and then at the end it goes, I'll leave your letter with your trusted postal carriers. <laughs> But also, it's like, oh, he's currently flying over here to here, and he's on here to here. And it reminded me a bit of, you know, Cliff's already showed this level of skill of planning flights back in season three finale. He knows his airlines. He's, he's memorized them. This is what we're saying. He's really a spy. He knows what the in-flight meal is. Exactly. Chicken Diablo. In-flight movie. Blame it on Rio. This made-up man, made up by uh, the gang at Cheers, it's called Mitch Wainwright. Mitch Wainwright. Dream pilot. <laughs> Do you want to go back to the meme? Meme. So in walks this meme. A classic memer. But in reality, of course, he's a a mime. In he comes and it's someone that Diane brought from mime class. Yeah, she's like booked him for the evening to entertain everyone. Sounds like, well, this will drive business down. (laughs) I really don't understand why Diane gets away with so much nonsense. Because, you know, she's just, she's a classic memer, you know? (laughs) (laughs) But essentially, throughout the episode, this mime slash memer just winds everyone up. He has a standoff with Sam, a meme standoff. My favourite interactions with the mime come from Woody, who thinks that a mime artist is also deaf. So he's shouting at him. (laughs) Trying to let him breathe. Eventually, Sam gets real tired of him, though. They have a fight, but Sam doesn't really know how to respond to this person. Yeah, he just keeps telling him to leave, basically. In the end, I think Diane says that he should do his breaking down robot impression. Which was a good impression. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's just the robot. It reminded me of, what's it called? Is it Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, where they become dolls or something mm. and they have to wind them up i'll tell you what the films and tv show reference to oh they span many years genre <laughs> and time sam pushes him back and he almost does like a moonwalk type thing and in the end when he's broken down as a robot much like the end of that song in chitty chitty bang bang cliff and norm pick him up and throw him out the bar and he's on the outside of the glass and he says his first line is yeah, it say i'll come back the same time tomorrow Woody's like, he could talk. It's a miracle. Which reminds me a bit of we saw in Coach's last appearance when it was the blind salesman. Yes. Very similar to that, really. Interestingly, there's a little parallel of sorts between these two storylines. Carla's storyline involves a fictional man created purely by words and a single picture, whereas Diane's storyline involves a man whose entire character consists of exaggerated actions, but only a single line. Does the difference in these two men address the question of whether actions speak louder than words? Oh, you should have started with that, James. That's a very deep conversation. I don't know the answer. Both seem pretty on par, especially when we consider how it ends. Exactly. Carla becomes infatuated with Mitch, and they're writing back and forth quite a bit. Who she thinks is also a model, based on the fact that he also sent a picture of himself, which is... Just a picture Norm found in his wallet. Uh, she doesn't really twig it, put, put two and two together, which is unlike Carla. She's normally quite quick on it. But yeah, she's she's infatuated with him, which when they realise that what they've done is wrong is when she starts getting interest on a advert, Lonely Hearts advert, and she's rejecting them because she's with Mitch, who's a made up man. She's holding them out for this ideal man. But in reality, someone else, a real person. Q Vinny. Vinny Clarson. Vinny writes a letter and he gets no reply. So he just turns up at the bar. Bit weird. He seemed nice enough, you know. Well, he was a bit weird though. He's a funeral director. I like him. It's a bit creepy just showing up out of the blue. But he seems quite nice, fairly 
gentle-mannered, gets a few zingers in there, I think. Yeah, Carla tells him that he's uh, too late, and he, he, he quite graciously goes to walk away. Sam offers him a free drink to keep him there a bit longer, and has a word with Carla. Listen to me. Mitch doesn't exist. The guys and I made him up. You what? What, you were so depressed, we figured we had to do something, so we made the guy up, wrote the letters, and rented a post office box for you to write to him. And Carla is, uh, furious. Eventually... She comes around after kicking him and yelling abuse at him. She comes around and she asks him, what about all those lovey parts? You know, how could you do them? And he says something really sweet, I think. He said it was easy because he was writing those parts for her, which I thought was quite nice. I'll tell you what, as the youth say, is this what you would call shipping? I couldn't tell you, James. <laughs> but whatever it is, she does forgive him and she decides to give Vinny a chance. They kind of walk off into the sunset a little bit. But maybe a slightly, uh, I was going to say slightly scummy sunset. Their final lines are a bit weird. Hey, Vinny, could you do me a favour? Just for tonight. Could you pretend that your name is Mitch and that you're an airline pilot? Well, I guess. You'll call yourself Raven and pretend you're a Vegas showgirl. You're weird. I like that. What an end to an episode. Quite a bizarre episode, but I think there were some really nice scenes and moments in there. As I say, there's these two men who act as the proponents of the plot in this episode. This fake one who we never see, and this Soto the Mime. But we do see Vinny Clausen come in as a late contender. Almost a between. In that respect, should I go through the cast and who plays these men? Yes. We've got... Don Lewis as Soto the Mime. He was a magician in Breaking 2, Electric Boogaloo, and has also played a mime in The Return of Mickey Spillane's Mike Hammer. I'd quite like to see a lot more mimes in Chess. I thought it was quite good. He was also a mime in Harry and the Hendersons and Robin Hood Men in Tights. He has also appeared in Buffy the Vampire Slayer and a number of other roles. He was also a puppeteer for Bram Stoker's Dracula and Team America World Police. We also had Michael Alimo as Vinnie Clausen. He has also appeared in The Six Million Dollar Man, Open All Night, Barney Miller, Cagney and Lacey, The Fall Guy, Hill Street Blues, Night Court, Mr. Belvedere, Dynasty, Alpha, NYPD Blue, Space Jam and Scrubs, to name a few. That's quite a good repertoire. I like that. That's a, Scrubs. Who's he in Scrubs? Just a patient, probably. Jack Gallagher as customer. This is his TV debut. He went on to play the titular character in Bringing Up Jack and the recurring role of a doctor on Curb Your Enthusiasm. you got to start somewhere and what a place to start. Well, that's the trivia bell, James. It's from that Lonely Hearts ad. Ooh, what could it be saying, John? Ah, uh, well, my mind's actually some trivia questions. But it does revolve around the letter that we received in this episode. We mentioned a little bit before that Cliff sneaks in a sort of slight nod which makes us pretty certain that the letter's partly written by him. What does he write in the letter? It's something like, keep this delivered with your trusted and noble postal carriers, something like that. Yeah, he says, like, for the moment then, we'll have to depend on the US Postal Service. And as Carla reads it out, Cliff has like a hint of pride in his stance. I've got one related to the cold open. What songs and musical acts are referenced in the cold open? Devo, Yakity Yak, a Wabba. You got a couple of them. The correct answers are Jack Brell, Barry Mann's Who Put the Bomb, Yakety Yak by the Coasters, the Shirelles, the Platters, the Dixie Cups, and Devo. When Nicola finds out that Sam has been lying, what does she describe him as? It's something like, you're 
the dirt which dirt finds on its shoe? It's the scum that scum scrapes off the bottom of its shoe. He's lower than scum. When Diane reveals to the gang that she's going to mime class, she does a little presentation mime for them. Cliff narrates the mime. What does Cliff say Diane is miming? Does he say that she is? Well, she's trying to be stuck in a, a shrinking box. She's, oh, she's, she's carrying something. Yes, Diane, in actuality, is miming a person trapped in a shrinking box. But he interprets it as what? He interprets it as, one, a cop directing traffic, two, a waitress carrying heavy dishes, and three, an imitation of Judy Garland. Uh, he had some good narrations there. In this episode, Carla describes poor Vinny as a, uh, a certain animal. What did she say he looks like? A weasel. Yeah, a bit mean. It's mean, and I'd agree with Woody that he doesn't look like a weasel. Well, she did say compared to Mitch. We never saw the photo. No, but I imagine he's an 80s heartthrob. <laughs> what is Soto the Mime's real name? I don't know. The correct answer is Lev Agajanian. Rolls off the tongue. Is that the last order spell, James? I believe it is. What should we have? I mean, I'd suggest miming a drink, but I don't think mime works particularly well with a podcast. I mean, I'm, I'm happy to meme a drink. For this episode, let's just meme whatever drink we want. Yes, that's it. Whatever drink you want. That's on the house today. Wow, yeah, imaginary drinks. Imaginary drinks are on us. I will uh, lift up my imaginary glass. Put up a cheers to uh, imaginary glasses, imaginary Mitch, and the art of memeing. For it is so good, James. Do you want to cheers to anything as well? No, I think you covered it. <laughs> In that case, this has been Where Nobody Knows Your Name, a cheers podcast.